Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hi, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast, and my guest is Tim Hall. Uh, Vice President of Products at InfluxDB.com. Tim, how are you doing? Actually, I'm great, Richard. How are you? It's actually Influx Data is the company name. Influx Data. Okay. I was looking at the website name, but the Influx Data. Apologize. Right. Yeah, no worries. And Tim and I were talking offline before we started, and I'm excited because Tim seems to ask the questions that I like to ask, you know, not beyond the product. Um, you know, what kind of data do you get back from customers? What kind of feedback? What insights do you get? So I'm looking forward to this. This should be a good talk. So, um, Tim, first thing, you know, just could you explain briefly what Influx Data does? Yeah, sure. Influx Data delivers a modern open source platform that's been built from the ground up for metrics and events, time-sensitive data. And what we've built is a monitoring uh, analytics platform um, that allow customers to explore that, that data at scale. Yeah, so I'm sure... Everyone and their mother is collecting analytics and data and timestamp bimbo and all that. But what do you do with it once you have all this data? Is anyone interpreting it or are they just collecting it and they feel like they've done themselves a service by collecting it? Yeah, the collection is just one part. I actually think, you know, given the the landscape of IT technologies out there uh, for storing data, you know, we've uh, really had the ability to store uh, vast quantities of information for quite some time. You hear the folks at Oracle arguing that, um, you know, there's no such thing as big data. They've had that forever. Um, and uh, and yet the, the, the reality is uh, when you get into the notion of time and time being a significant uh, contextual element to the data, we've really treated time as this sort of extra column of information in, in, in the relational database world for, for a long time uh, since the introduction of those technologies. And yet, if you decide to orient your understanding and uh, analysis and extraction of the data based on the time component, there's some really interesting things that you can uh, that you can do. And the challenge, of course, is that if you're if you're dealing with it as this sort of you know extra set of information at the end of your table, um, that's not treating it as a first class citizen. So at Influx Data, we've tried to orient ourselves around time. Um, and make it easy for people to analyze and store information using that contextual component. Um, and we offer the platform both for a customer to deploy and control themselves, either on-premise or in the cloud, and then we also offer it as a managed service through the Influx Cloud uh, hosted offering. So, all right, tell me some of the use cases you found for time data that other people are ignoring. What's some of the interesting stuff you found? Yeah, well, uh, some of, uh, let me start with a little bit maybe what might be considered non-interesting stuff, and uh, which is one of the ways that people get introduced to the notion of, of time series data uh, is through traditional monitoring. Um, and so you see a, a lot of our customers uh, leveraging the technology to uh, build out um, custom uh, IT monitoring solutions. So in the, in the landscape of uh, DevOps monitoring, there's been a lot of changes in the IT landscape over the, really the last five to 10 years, whether it's the introduction of containers, microservices, serverless architectures, 
the adoption of cloud. And so the landscape of properties that, uh, that people have to deal with in terms of their you know, operational environment and understanding the health of that environment uh, has been a challenge for a lot of the traditional tools that are out there. Um, and one of the things that they're finding is, hey, um, there's this great platform, uh, Influx Data, that's out there that they can um, leverage very, very quickly to gather all of that metric and monitoring information and um, give them visibility into the health and performance of their applications and infrastructure, be it on cloud or um, on-premise. So that's, that's really kind of the on-ramp where we see a lot of customers getting started. And then most recently, we've been seeing um, customers uh, in the Internet of Things space, IoT space, uh, monitoring uh, the sensors uh, that are being distributed out there in the world, you know, be it on uh, green walls, um, be it in, uh, you know, uh, assembly lines, um, connected car. There's a whole, you know, series of, uh, uh, you know, the smart grid initiatives, smart cities, um, lots of lots of sensors. Quick question. What's a green wall? A green wall is an installation where you've got, uh, you know, sort of a traditional open space, uh, but the wall itself is made up of plants. So you've got plants oh, okay. that are, you know, sort of mounted and, and um, you know, connected to the wall and receive, uh, you know, water and an automated system. Uh, the sunlight obviously shines on it. They grow. Uh, we're seeing a lot of those uh, things crop up around the U.S. at the moment. Um, and we've got um, at least one of our, uh, customers is uh, leveraging our technology to monitor uh, the health of the plants that they've installed in those walls and drive all of the automated watering, feeding, um, and health of, of the installation. Gotcha. Okay. So are people using these systems to their full potential or they're leaving a lot on the table? It sounds like they're not. Well, the way the way that I look at it is, if if we try to go out and, and talk about what is time series data, I, I think I see a lot of uh, you know eyes roll to the back of their head and they think, well, what what is that? But like I said, when you get into it and you and you think about what's the what are the kinds of information I have access to from a business uh, perspective? On the one hand, um, you think about the, the the monitoring applications that people have built to to make sure things are running. Um, and then you start to get into the physical and real-world context, like the, the green wall example, or like understanding um, the health of a bus, um, right? So, so you've got, um, you know, transportation systems that have all kinds of sensor information that are being thrown off. People are using that for predictive uh, maintenance schedules and uh, determining, you know, when, uh, you know, based on correlating all of that information, um, when those, those buses need to be taken out of service, as an example. Um, and it's all based on looking looking through the lens of, of time as the as the valuable dimension. We've got other customers who are um, doing things like monitoring customer activity. Um, so if you think of a gaming company, uh, the, the every click, uh, every you know action that a customer takes inside the context of the game, you know provides some super interesting information to them that they can uh, you know decide to use and. Um, provide you know offers or next best actions to to the experience of the customer in the game, um, and that also applies to things like retail sites uh, where you're going okay. through a shopping experience, right? And and you may want to you know push a um, an advertisement or a coupon based on the kinds of clicks that the customer has done, and all of those things occur in a time sequence, and that time sequence is important and valuable, and you can't really take it out of context and still have that same uh, value or meaning. So what are you noticing since you see all these systems and these implementations? What do you see that other people don't see? 
What are some of the uh, leverage points that you found? Well, for us, um, what we're seeing is, is definitely a rise of uh, more and more use cases in that Internet of Things space. I think as people understand how valuable time can be as, a, um, as an analytic component and not treating it as a second or a third class citizen, I think we're seeing the um, ability for our customers to really rapidly take advantage of the data that they, that they do have access to and put it to their, their best advantage. Um, and we're also seeing uh, a lot more people care about um, the precision with which they uh, capture and analyze that data. So, for example, if you were only, you know, uh, analyzing the data once a month or once a, a quarter, um, you know, you may come up with a completely different picture of what's going on than if you, uh, if your sample rate is is much much lower. So we're talking, you know, okay. on, on the order of hours or minutes or, you know, uh, for folks in the, you know, sort of IT landscape, you know, monitoring network infrastructures, you can even get down to the microsecond. Okay. Very interesting. So, yeah, can you tell me, you know, without giving away <clears throat> your secrets or confidential info, uh, tell me a few examples of things that, that were monitored time-wise, you know, Internet of Things-wise that surprised you or you thought was really gave great insight. Uh-huh. Uh, well, one, one creative uh, use case that um, uh, customers doing is they're actually controlling uh, lighting systems in parking lots, airports, and... Um, other uh, university campuses. And effectively what they're doing is they're monitoring uh, a, a lots of different activities um, in that lighting control system. So again, just like in the IT landscape where we're transitioning from everything being on-premise and sort of uh, you know, traditional architectures into, the, into those new, um, you know, into those new tech, be it on-prem and in the cloud that I mentioned, we're seeing similar kinds of sea changes happen in, in um, you know, min municipalities. So uh, the adoption of uh, LED lighting, for example. So when you move from the traditional incandescence to LED, uh, there's also a changeover that, control, that, that happens in terms of the control systems for those things. Um, and, of course, everybody says, well, with the advent of, you know, always connected and the fact that those control systems could be connected to the Internet and I can have uh, metering and monitoring information on the health of the lighting system, um, I can also get down to the level of understanding whether or not I need to send a maintenance person out there based on the power consumption of that, of that system as a whole. I can look at um, the, uh, the power draw and determine if any of the lights are actually out and how many of them based on you know, the, the quanta of energy that each one of those uh, LEDs use. And of course, since LED consumes significantly less power than incandescent, it gets a little harder. But again, that's where that precision uh, aspect comes in um, and looking at that power consumption over time. And if you see drops, then you know you may need to send people out um, to, to take a look. Uh, also, you know, uh, detecting events through, uh, you know, sensors, sun up, sun down. You know, at what level um, are you detecting the ambient light um, coming from, uh, you know, around and outside the parking lot, right, to determine whether it's time to turn those things on. Because, again, every day, that you know, depending on where you are in the, in the seasons, the days are either getting longer or shorter, so you don't do that based on a fixed time component. You may also choose to drift. Oh, okay. uh, you may also choose to drift the lights on, lights off, based on a cloudy day versus a sunny day. So all of that can be done dynamically, and, and all of the data associated with that can be stored and analyzed in, in influx data. Yeah, that seems like a real simple thing, but look at all the richness just of that. It's pretty cool. Yeah, um, no, it's 
as a, as a product guy, you know, when you unleash technology on the world, you know, you usually have a number of use cases in mind that you expect people to, to leverage um, that technology within. And it's always surprising and, and sort of delightful to find, um, you know, new use cases and, and new contexts under which uh, people are taking advantage. And we've got a lot of fans uh, of our tech about how easy it's been to use um, and how quickly they've been able to take advantage of it. Any, um, well, your clients, are they going for efficiency? What are the things they tend to focus on? You know, what do they want to use the data for? Uh, well, let me let me start from the other dimension. One of the things we set out to do as a company is deliver on uh, what we call developer happiness. We want to delight developers. There's a lot of technologies that are out there that are extraordinarily powerful, but they're difficult to set up, maintain, and run and use. So, meaning to take full advantage of them, it may take you you know days, hours, weeks to set them up and 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 get them running. Um, so, one of the things we really focused on is the ease of use of the of the platform as a whole. So standing up the database, um, doing the anomaly detection, feeding data into it, and visualizing it are four major components that we that we really focused on. And unleashing that on a set of uh, consumers, starting with the open source community and having people uh, leverage that to whatever use case they're attempting to do, it's always um, you know it's always fulfilling to hear back like you know yes you are delighting us yes you are making us happy um and one of the ways in which we're measuring that obviously is through um our you know the code is available on github uh and we get github stars uh when um the community is uh you know in favor of the things that we're doing and so we've gotten to 10,000 github stars very very quickly oh okay <clears throat> um any use cases or uses you wish would happen that are not happening or ones that you've seen that, uh, again, surprised you, even you, that, uh, you know, focus on this stuff all the time? Um, I was a little surprised to see how many gaming companies were, uh, were leveraging the technology, to be honest. Um, that hadn't been a sector that I had spent much time with uh, prior to joining Influx Data. So, We've seen a lot of uptake in that area. I've been surprised at the um, the breadth of the IoT use cases that are out there in the world. Um, like the Greenwall example was a relatively recent one um, that came to our attention. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, when you hear that there be more than 20 billion sensors on the planet, you know, um, generating all of these different uh, you know elements of data by I think it's 2018. Uh, I think that the, the analyst predictions in this particular case may be uh, uh, either right on track or maybe even undershooting um, given the volume of adoption that we're seeing. Yeah, I know it's incredible, right? Yeah, it is. It is. Um, maybe we could talk for a minute just about the green wall. Uh, any insights from there on the data? Again, I know it's a very specific application, but... You know, what are some of the yeah, insights I mean, you saw that came out of it that people wouldn't really think about at first glance? Well, I, we actually talked for uh, a little bit with the folks on, on um, you know, what they were gathering, things like, you know, the ambient temperature, the moisture of the soil, those sorts of things, and the frequency which they're gathering the data and then sending it off for analysis. Um, and, of course, you know, what they, you know, their goal is obviously to maintain the health of all the plants there. And I, I started to get into... Um, you know, there are obviously more things that you need to be able to do than just, um, you know, some basic metrics. And so that's, and they're like, yep, absolutely, that's the starting point. But you also need to be able to, to look at things like, um, 
you know, San Francisco is a notoriously difficult place to grow to grow certain kinds of plants because of the coral fog that hangs out here on a regular basis. Um, he has a name, so and a, and a Twitter account, so you can you can always check on our weather here. Um, but yeah, looking at like you know, do they also want to be able to do a remote visual inspection, and do they need a time uh, index that's associated when the visual images or feed was captured? Uh, right, because the health and the temperature and all of those things of the plant is not solely determined by, you know, soil and, and those sorts of things. There's also a visual inspection component that may need to be done to see if, the, you know, if there's a blight uh, or other disease attacking, um, you know, attacking the, you know, those installations. So we, we kind of talk through those kinds of scenarios as well and looking at, you know, what kinds of things we could do to be assistive, uh, you know, with, with other rich kinds of content beyond just uh, sample metrics. So how does your um, your application differ from other ones out there? You know, you say you focus a lot on the time element and other other aspects, but uh, what makes your implementation unique? Yeah, so we started uh, with a few goals. Number one was the you know delight the developers and, and drive towards developer happiness. Focus on that ease of use. The second is the platform has been uh, written from the ground up um, using GoLang, uh, which is a, a new server side language that was um, uh, when I say new, it's about 10 years old now. It was introduced by Google, um, but I would say new in the landscape of uh, lots of folks may not have heard of it yet. Um, you know, Java's been around for about 20 years, and, and Java comes with its own set of pros and cons. Uh, and me, personally, I've been looking for the next sort of server-side language uh, that would sort of take off and, and, and potentially replace and eclipse Java in the long run. And I think Go has some very uh, very positive aspects around it. It's super fast. It's a compiled binary. Um, it's lightweight. It's easy to distribute. Um, and I think you know that choice is a very interesting one for us in terms of building the platform on at its core. Um, second is we also uh, you know beyond that focused on having minimal number of dependencies. In fact, we have no dependencies on the database itself. Uh, so when you set up InfluxDB. Uh, um, nothing else is required. We have our own storage engine, um, SQL-based uh, SQL query engine, um, very easy to stand up and set up and run. And then we added to the database um, some additional components um, that allow you to do the other kinds of capabilities I mentioned. So for ease of data ingest, uh, we have a component called Telegraph, uh, which can be configured through over 100 different plugins to collect uh, data and send it to the database in the format it's able to ingest uh, at, at very, very high speed. Um, and then we also introduced a component called capacitor for anomaly detection um, that then can be leveraged in the context of these more advanced use cases like machine learning and predictive analytics. Uh, we recently hosted a webcast where we showed how you could use Google's TensorFlow um, as the machine learning element integrated with capacitor and, and InfluxDB. And then last but not least, uh, we'll be um, making generally available uh, this month uh, Chronograph, which is our um, administrative UI for the entire stack, along with uh, dashboarding, uh, data exploration, and visualization uh, of the data elements themselves. Um, and so that's, that's, that, that is what makes up uh, Influx Data today, those, those four components. Okay. And then who are your <clears throat> typical clients? You mentioned gaming companies. One offshoot was the green wall, but you know what's typical for you is it large enterprise, small enterprise? 
You know, that's a great question. Um, we've seen pretty broad adoption across the whole spectrum of the customer landscape from financial services companies uh, to, re- to large uh, retailers um, to the gaming companies. And then we see a lot of startups too, uh, folks that are building their own software as a service uh, companies that need uh, monitoring at, at a variety of levels of the sample, uh, sort of taking samples as well as understanding the event-based data that's being thrown off from the um, offerings that they're putting in place. Um, so yeah, it's really run the whole spectrum. I mean, some very large uh, you know, organizations, uh, Nordstrom, for example, in the retail space, um, um, has done a you know, customer testimonial with us, uh, multiplay in the gaming space. Um, these are you know these are sort of you know interesting uh, use cases and and um, really excited to have uh, have them all as customers. So what's um, what's next for this year and maybe in the next you know one or two years? What's the plan uh, on your side in terms of offerings? Yeah, I think for us, um, continuing to push forward on uh, enterprise readiness and operationalization of the database itself. So as um, customers continue to grow and scale, we want to make sure that um, they're able to do so uh, with an absolutely rock-solid foundation. Um, you know, we're only, we've only had product in the market really for um, just over a year. Um, so coming from the open source side uh, of the house and then um, delivering on um, the horizontal scale-out and high availability configurations that are available in the commercial offering, um, that's really only been around for not even a year, I think. So um, that's pretty rapid in terms of the technology adoption. Uh, in the Influx Cloud, we, are, we have over 200 customers that we're already hosting and, and servicing there, um, and our on-prem uh, customers or uh, the enterprise customers continue to grow on a, on a fairly uh, rapid clip. So. Um, for us, it's about making sure that the customers can operate and run at scale uh, while introducing um, new capabilities to the database, things like um, mathematical uh, analysis, making that easier. So, for example, one of the things that's upcoming is the ability for you to do definitive integrals. So those calculus fans out there, um, like me, <laughs> um, you know, if you would like to do an, an integral over the top of the, of the data that you've received and, and are storing, um, that will be a, a single function call that you can execute. Um, so that's pretty compelling for, for folks that are doing sort of deeper analysis. And there's, there's other kinds of mathematical functions like that that people are asking for. Um, thing, and then visualization, things like histograms, uh, making that easy to extract a histogram from the data. You'll see us uh, focus on that going forward. But a big emphasis in the near term is, is continued operational stability um, and making sure the platform scales as we expect. Um, again, and more and more data that customers try to you know, put in and analyze, we want to make sure that the, they can get um, and rely upon the results that come out. You think there'll be an AI analysis component at some point to the data that you're collecting? You know, that's a good question. I think the, that's not really our sweet spot. Um, I think what you can expect is that we will make sure that the um, path to integration with the most popular ones is, is easy to do. Um, I think folks that are choosing what kind of machine learning and, um, and you know, sort of AI-like uh, components, they are, there, there are many. And, and because there are many, I don't know that I want to fight, um, you know, a particular religious war, if you will, with somebody who wants to use one versus another. Um, and so I think what you'll see is we want to make it as easy for customers to adopt their uh, machine learning platforms of choices um, as we can. Okay, very good. Um, 
I guess last question, any um, misconceptions that uh, companies have about your process that you want to clear up or hidden um, hidden benefits you could bring that they don't know about? Well, I think the hidden gem in the, in the platform today is capacitor. Um, so the capacitor component of, the, of uh, Influx Data uh, Enterprise Edition for sure um, allows you to do anomaly detection and alerting. That's a, a primary function. It also can help customers um, do what we call a downsample the data. So as I mentioned, you know, if you're collecting the data elements at a very high precision rate, um, one of the interesting things about time series data is the value of the data tends to go down over time, um, not in the aggregate, but at the level of precision, right? So for example, if I'm collecting uh, server monitoring data over the course of a week, um, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks from now, I may not need the you know per second uh, or per 30 second precision that I gathered and analyzed it at. But I, what I do need is I do need the aggregate view of that so that I can do things like capacity planning uh, and other kinds of um, you know historical uh, analysis. And so um, Capacitor can provide you with the ability to downsample that data into aggregations without uh, perturbing the performance and throughput of the database itself. Um, and then Capacitor can also be used as a, um, a very powerful uh, engine for providing a, a subset of the data or um, aggregations of that data to third-party sources. Uh, so, you know, again, the machine learning use case is where we're plugging machine learning directly into Capacitor as the means for feeding uh, the time series data in, in the way that um, those uh, systems can analyze and, and, and look at it. Um, so it's it's kind of the hidden gem in the stack at the moment. I think most people would be uh, who who have heard about Influx Data might have heard of the database portion, um, and I think we're we're starting to um, see more and more folks adopt uh, Capacitor over time. So I'd say that's that's the hidden gem at the moment. Okay. Well, very good. Um, last question is how can um, companies get in touch with you to find out more and start interacting with you and and uh, use your platform. Yeah, great question. So I think there's a, there's at least three ways um, that I would suggest. Uh, one, if you just want to look at um, you know what we do and how it breaks down, uh, definitely come to the website, which is uh, influxdata.com. Under the resources tab, there's a series of videos that we've done that describe what we've got in video format. There's content, oh, obviously the marketing content on the website that talks about the platform. Um, the second way is if you're a developer uh, and you're interested in uh, looking at the code and sort of exploring uh, the depths and potentially even be, being a contributor, um, definitely go to GitHub and look up Influx Data. Uh, our GitHub repos are there, and you can see and, and access all that information up there, including submitting uh, individual issues if you're interested in uh, at that level. And then the third way is we have community.influxdata.com. So uh, we're we're um, uh, curating and fostering content. Uh, on our own community site uh, where we've got Influx Data users um, talking to each other, talking with our engineering team, our support team, the product management team, our marketing team. Everybody's engaged in, in talking about some of these use cases, what they're trying to do, and how they're leveraging the technology. So I'd say those three avenues are, are the best uh, to get started. And then, of course, on our website, um, there's also free trials available. Uh, we have a free trial of Influx Enterprise, which is 14 days. You can download and get a license key uh, and, and get it running very, very quickly. Um, on, the, on the downloads page, you can access uh, all four of the components, uh, the open source editions, again, free of charge and continue to run those. 
And then the last way is you can get a 14-day free trial of Influx Cloud, uh, where you don't have to download and install anything. Uh, we do ask for your credit card as part of that process, because if you decide to continue on past the 14-day trial, uh, you move into a paid plan, uh, and, you, and you continue on from there. And we, again, like we've got more than 200 customers in the cloud instance at the moment, and um, continuing to, to support them uh, in, in the various use cases that they're, uh, they're exercising. Okay, Tim. Well, great. Well, thanks so much for your time, and I uh, appreciate it. Thank you, Rich. My pleasure. You've been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, both to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.